We're going to jump into our lesson today. Almighty God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity we have to come together. And I do pray, God, that you continue to work in our hearts to help us learn not just today's lesson, but what the book of Galatians is trying to teach us. Father, we do pray for uh, Cedric, uh, who lost his wife, one of our elders in Queens. And we pray that you just comfort him and help him uh, in this time of sorrow, Father. But uh, we love you so much. Please be with us right now. Clear our minds of anything we got to do after church or if our kids are, are acting up. Clear our minds of that. Let's not get angry at them, but let's teach them how to worship you regardless. Father, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, I got these kids in here. I may not be able to pay attention to you. My bad. Maybe your lesson for you today is patience. Maybe it's not Galatians. I don't know. Just say it. But this will really help us to appreciate kids' kingdom uh, as we have it, and it'll help us see that we all are a part of kids' kingdom. It's not just a Sunday thing for several individuals. We are all in this thing together to help raise all of our kids. Amen? So, kids do not bother me when I'm preaching. I don't have a problem with kids crying. I got a problem when adults start crying and acting up. So if your kid does something weird, don't be embarrassed. That's what kids do. It's not going to bother me whatsoever. So, And I won't even point it out. I promise. I won't say anything about that kid. But if it's an adult, Kamani, I will say something. <laughs> so we've been studying the book of Galatians. And this will be the last lesson for the book of Galatians. Uh, not that we'll never preach on it again, but just in our series so far on Galatians. Now, chapter 1 of Galatians, we learned that Paul talked to him about the fact that there were some... Paul planted a church in Galatia, taught them how to be Christians, and then he left to plant other churches. While he was gone, some people came in and started trying to change what he taught. And so, as we start out in chapter 1, he was just teaching them, don't be swayed by what people are saying. Don't just listen to somebody and think, oh, they're right we got to make sure it's from the Bible and it's the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 2, we see that uh, Paul confronted uh, Peter because Peter lived a certain way when the Jews were there or with the Gentiles. When the Jews came, he lived a different way. He lived a double life. And so Paul confronted him to his face. It's important that we live one standard, and that is the standard of the Bible. Not to have a double or triple life, but that we have one consistent life. Then in chapter 3, uh, Paul talks about the law that God gave us is good, but it was only a law for a certain time. It did happen for a certain time, for a certain group of people, for a certain reason. But we no longer live by the law. Now we need to live by the grace through Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 4, he talked about uh, the slave woman and the free woman, Sarah and Hagar. Now, they, everybody had the same spiritual father, Abraham, but they had different mothers. One occurred through what Abraham did on his own. One occurred through the promise that God gave Abraham. And so you got people who live under slavery and people who live under freedom. And he made it clear to tell them, who is your mama? Is it the slave woman or is it the free woman? This is how we need to look at our lives. Chapter 5, he talked about freedom in Christ. We have freedom, but free not to sin, but free to become the people that God wants us to be. 
And so we have freedom in Christ. And so when you preach on grace, it doesn't mean now we can go do whatever and God's grace just covers it all the time. No, 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 no. Repentance is not a repeated apology. That does not mean it's repentant just because you keep saying I'm sorry. Repentance means you stop it. If I walk home and my wife looks at me and just slaps me in my face and says, I'm sorry, we may let that one go. But I come home the next day and she's, pow, I'm sorry. We're right on the edge. The third day, pow, hold up. Just because you say I'm sorry doesn't mean anything. You need to stop doing those actions. That's repentance. And so this is what he talks about in chapter 5. Now today we get into chapter 6. And this is what we'll cover today. Now, the thing I want to talk to us about is that this is a biblical teaching. I'm trying to do this not to give us a feel-good lesson, but a deeper understanding of the Bible. And chapter 6 sums up everything that Paul talks about. And this is what we got to understand. I'm giving us these tools because we all need to be responsible adults. Anybody that's a Christian is an adult. It's an adult decision that you make. You say, well, what about the teenagers that do it? Yeah, but it's still an adult decision because those same teenagers have to make decisions in school every day that are grown-up decisions, whether to do the drugs, whether to get involved in immorality. They make decisions all the time. We can't water it down for them. If you want to be a Christian, you can, but it's an adult decision. But a lot of times in life, our culture today doesn't want to take responsibility. Our culture today is so good. They have a Ph.D. in the blame shifting. It's always what somebody else did to me and how they not loving me and how my teachers don't like me in school, how my principal trying to get me in trouble, how my group isn't growing. Because it's always something, but it's somebody else's fault. Well, Paul says, you know what? We have freedom, but we have a freedom of choice to make responsible choices that have a direct impact in our lives. In other words, a man reaps what he sows. Look in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Galatians 6, verse 7 through 10. It says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So let me give you the very principle that Paul's talking about when he says, do not be deceived about this. The principle he's talking about is simply this. God cannot be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. And that's the principle in every case. God has given us certain laws that are consistent. Some of them are spiritual. Some of them are are physical of this earth. Let me give you an example. You go to the GW Bridge and you jump off. You can pray all the way down, but you're still going to hit the bottom really hard. That little bit of prayer isn't going to change the law that God established of gravity. God had established laws 
And sometimes we have to just live with the consequences of the laws that he established. That means God cannot be mocked. But here's the thing. Some people think they can mock God. They think, no one knows what I'm doing. It's just me. Nobody can see it. So if I slide in a little bit of church, then it'll be okay. They think they can sow seeds of the flesh, come to church, and reap a harvest of righteousness. Not going to work like that. God is gracious, but he's also righteous. So when, to show his consistency, when there's consequences because of something you've done, does not mean God doesn't love you. It just means God is God. And this is a law that he set up there. Well, let me explain again, because it looked like I got some people confused. Let's say you are an alcoholic. And then somebody meets you, you come to church, you repent, and you get baptized, and you're living like a faithful disciple year after year. But then all of a sudden, you start to have physical problems in your body. That's a consequence of what happened earlier in your life. All that alcohol had an effect on you that even though now you're a Christian, you have to reap the consequences. You're going to harvest some, some ill feelings physically, too, because of what you did before. Just because you become a Christian does not mean God's going to take away everything and you have no suffering or no challenges. Absolutely not. Think about it in John chapter 5, the man that was an invalid. Jesus healed him, but he said, repent or something worse is going to happen to you. So it's like, man, even after he's been saved, even after he's healed, something bad can still happen to you? Yes, if you don't obey the laws that God has given us. Paul says, listen, you can't mock God. Now, it's not impossible to mock God, but it is impossible to get away with it. So people can try to mock God, try to cover it up, try to be sneaky, try to do this or that, and maybe nobody knows about it, but God knows about it. And so consequences are going to occur because God knows about it. Now, Paul didn't say this to scare us. He actually said it to encourage us. But in our nature, we always look for the negative stuff. Well, let's look at the positive stuff because there's some laws that God gave that are very positive. Think about it. In Malachi, he says, okay, you give me a tithe. You know what? I'll open the floodgates. I'll bless you and meet every need you have, more than you could imagine. Well, so if I give to God, he's going to take care of me? Absolutely. Think about what it says in the book of Mark. Whatever you give up, he'll give you a hundred times as much. Is that true? Absolutely. You say, well, how is that? Some of us gave up friendships because they weren't spiritually healthy. And now you look around this room and look at the hundreds of people that you have that are true friends to you. Absolutely true. My wife was married. Her husband divorced her because she became a Christian. She gave up that man. And then what happened? God gave her a hundred times as much. There it is. Speak no more. I would have, but it costs money. I ain't going to do that. But that was a perfect illustration of the, my point I'm about to make. <laughs> 
about to make. Sometimes we think more of ourselves than we ought to. <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> that was not the point. I ain't going to say nothing, but you start clapping first, Dina. I saw you. <laughs> the point is, sometimes we brag about things that God did. And we take credit for it like we did it. There's a safeguard against improper boasting, and that is proper boasting. And there's a place for Christians to boast, and that place is at the foot of the cross. Look in verse 11. Again, Galatians 6, verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Yet, they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear the marks, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul says this last point in the book of Galatians is so important that I'm going to write it with my own hand. Now, that's not normal. That's not the way Paul normally did it, because he would dictate things to his scribe, and then he would sign it at the end of it. But he says, this is so important that I need to write it with my own hand. And Paul had problems with his vision, and that's why he said, I'm writing in such big letters, because he just had some physical challenges. If you get flogged and beaten and stoned, you're going to have some physical problems that occur from it. But why did he do this? Let's turn over to 2 Thessalonians 2. We're going to come back to Galatians, but 2 Thessalonians, after Galatians, flip a couple of pages over, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now I'm going to show you why he said that specifically uh, to everybody. In chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2. Says concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. What he's telling the Thessalonians is that there are some people who started writing letters and then they would sign Paul's name on it as if it came from Paul. And this is how we give so many letters. You ever hear people say, these are letters that were supposed to be in the Bible, but never were actually in the Bible. Well, I'm sure if God could create the universe, he can put together one book the way he wants it. Those letters aren't really always from the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter. They were forging different things, still trying to get their will done. So this is why he says, Listen, you can't just believe that, but I want you to believe the book of Galatians because I wrote it in my own handwriting so you won't be mistaken. 
Now, this is something that we need to understand. And this is why he drove the last point home. Because he says there's a lot of people who have their opinion about the cross. But I'm here to tell you, I don't believe their opinion. Because I have my own opinion, and it is from the Lord Jesus. His opponents wanted the gospel to be uh, able to be tolerated by the Jewish people in Jerusalem. So that's why they say you can preach whatever you want, but stop preaching about this grace stuff, Paul. Because when you preach about all this grace, they have freedom in Christ and then we can't control what's going on. It was still a political power move even back in that day. So we have to understand this is how the religious world thinks. The religious world does not like the cross of Jesus. Pharisees, legalistic people, do not like the cross of Jesus. Why? Because it says three specific things. The first thing it says is that every one of us is a wretched, horrible sinner. That's what the cross says. You know what? People don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear you talk about that they're pitiful and wretched and horrible. But that's what the cross says. You are a horrible sinner. The second thing it says is that you are under a curse. What does that mean? That means you're going to hell. Everybody at one point is not right with God and they're going to be going to hell. That's what the cross says. But then it says a third thing. There's nothing you can do about it. This really upsets people. Well, what's the result? Only God can do something about it. You personally can't do anything about it. But God can do a whole lot about it. So people don't like to talk about the cross because it tells us that we're wretched, we're horrible, we're under a curse, and there's nothing we can do about it. Which means we have to fully rely on God. A lot of people don't want to fully rely on something they can't control. So they don't like talking about it. Scholars today even say we should not focus on the cross because that's a symbol of death. We need to focus more on the life of God and how wonderful his life was. Paul said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. The power is in the cross. Look in Galatians chapter 1. If Paul had to go to one of those scholars' church that would say something like that, this would be his reply. In Galatians 1, verse 8. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Paul says, listen, the cross is the dividing line. That's what it's all about. It's not a matter of how you feel or how I feel. It's a matter of the cross. And every man's eternal destiny is determined by their relationship with the cross of Christ. Listen, no matter what we do, whether it's good or bad, we have to take everything back to the cross. You say, well, how do I deal with this anger I have towards my spouse? Take it back to the cross. How does Jesus deal with what he could have felt towards you. It says in Peter that he made no threats. When they insulted him, no threats, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So when they did him wrong, he didn't retaliate. So that's how you handle issues with your spouse, with your children, with a friend. Take it back to the cross and see what, how Jesus handled it. You see how many not amens we got or right Because that's the fact. And a lot of people, we know that, but we don't want to do that. 
Because then it's like, oh, shoot, it's not about them. It's about me. And we don't want to deal with me all the time. But Paul brings everything back to the cross. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, 17. It says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. You know, this is why Paul, again, his message so clearly focuses on the cross. Because he wants us to understand it's all about the cross. Looking at uh, Galatians 3, verse 1. Galatians 3, verse 1. This is what he told him as he began chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Again, portrayed means placard. In other words, posted up. He says, listen, Jesus was posted up. It was clear. I made a picture of what happened to Jesus on the cross. That's what you need to look at. That's what you need to follow. Don't follow people. Don't follow church. Don't follow religion. Follow Jesus on the cross. This is what he's telling them. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. Paul, again, he takes it back to the cross. He says here, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said it's all about Jesus. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is. The power of God. In all honesty, the book of Galatians is a chronicle work of the cross. Written by a man who, in light of the cross, made radical changes in his life. I say it again. Once you have a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, every aspect of your life changes. Who you are changes. How you look changes. I'm not talking about your clothes. I'm talking about how you look. Just you walk in, it can light up a room or it can make it really dark. How you act, how you sing, how you hug people. I mean, everything about you changes when Jesus comes into play. Look again, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, verse 17. It says... Galatians 6, 17, finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He says he bear the marks. That word means stigma. Stigmata, I'm sorry. That's where we get the word stigma from. It's a tattoo mark that you put on a slave to show that he belongs to a master. So there was a time that Paul would have bragged about a different kind of mark. 
I was circumcised. I did this. I kept all the rules. He used to brag about that. But now that he met Jesus, he brags about the marks that he bears for the cross. It's no longer about all the accomplishments he's done. Now it's about the cross. And see, this is where we get confused. And a part of this is this is how we started out our Christianity. Now, I know I say some things that some of y'all probably think and don't say, or you wonder, should he be saying that? All the time. But if you think for a moment, think about how much people brag, even in the church, about how things used to be. I used to go out and share with a hundred people. I used to do this, and I used to go and have Bible talk here, and I used to do... You look at that, and you got to ask yourself, were you bragging about God? Are you bragging about what you've done? And this is what we got to see, guys. Do we, wear the, do we bear the marks of Christ? Or are we still talking about ourselves? Not just in a negative way, but think about it like this. You know what? Nobody's helping me with this. And my group isn't doing this. And my leader isn't doing this. And my, again, what are we boasting about? What are we complaining about? Is it about glorifying the cross, or is it still about us? Paul said, you want to talk about marks, I bear the marks of grace. That's the marks of the cross. Reminds me of a story. Everything does, huh? The president of a university of Glasgow introduced missionary David Livingston to the students. When Livingston came to the podium, his hair was burnt crisp from the sun he had lived in for so many years. His body was weak and emaciated from jungle fever. His right arm hung limp, useless, from where an African lion had attacked him. And the students, as they looked at him, slowly and silently began to stand in awe. Because David Livingston wore the stigma. He was a man of the cross. He was out there fighting for Christ. And things happened to him, and he continued to fight. Too many times we fight the good fight, and something happens, and we're ready to quit. We're ready to give up. I don't like Stanley took too long to turn the light out. I missed the first part of the video. Seriously? Is your salvation based on turning the light out for a video? I mean, we can get caught up in so many different things. Let's talk about Jesus. So what I want to do, that's all my intro. I just got two points for us today. (laughs) My wife told me to drink a lot of water before I preach. That way I have to use the restroom and the sermon be shorter. But I didn't today, so we're good to go. Point number one about the gospel of grace. It recognizes God's accomplishments, not man's achievements. It recognizes God's accomplishments because it needs to go back to being about God, not about us. The reason legalism wants to boast in the flesh is because that's where its glory is. For legalism, the glory is in the flesh, not in the cross. And again, that's what religious people do. They boast about all they've done. Even through their doctrine, even though the doctrine retains the cross, legalistic people, their actions nullify the cross. Because if they do anything to add to the cross, it empties the cross of its power. 
Bottom line, legalism does not understand the cross. Chapter Galatians 2, verse 21. Galatians 2, 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. There's nothing about Christ's work that you can complete in your flesh. Chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What's the point here? My union with Christ, my identification with Christ is in the work that occurred at baptism. Not anything I did. God did it all at that point of baptism. He forgave my sins. He cleared my my past. He did all the work. But see, here's the problem. If we add, we don't, we may not struggle with legalism like they do here. But if we add anything, all of a sudden now it's just like circumcision. They were concerned trying to get people to be circumcised, but sometimes we can add to it as well. We may not be adding circumcision, but again, if we're focused on how the ushers pass things out, that's just like adding circumcision. If we're focused on, oh, what songs we're going to sing, or we don't sing enough songs, let's not sing just two songs and then start. That's just like adding circumcision. If we're focused on, oh, the preacher said this, or he shouldn't have did that, we're adding circumcision. We may not struggle with legalism the way they did there, but we also can add things to the clear gospel that does not need to be added. Philippians 3, verse 3. Philippians 3, verse 3, it says, For if it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, so I myself have reason for such confidence. This is Paul speaking. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a people of Israel, a tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, flawless. But who, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Paul says, listen, all the things I used to boast about, I consider it trash now. That stuff is rubbish. It's meaningless. Sometimes we think, I crucify my impurities. I crucify my anger. Okay, that's good, but crucifixion doesn't just leave on those levels. It deals with the heart issues, the desires of the heart as well. In a book by Gerald Jenkins titled, How Time Flies When You're Having Fun, he tells of a time in 1976 when he went to Irajawa to do relief work after an earthquake. He was flying home to one of the states 
and they had to make a refueling stop in one of the little islands in the South Pacific. They had to get out of the plane for a while, and so they stood on one of the sheds, and immediately little bronze-skinned children, island children, came up to try to sell them seashells. Now, the irony was that if they were standing there on the beach with miles and miles of seashells strung along the beach, as many as they could pick up. But the children would run up to them and say, dollar, 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 quarter, 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 nickel, nickel, nickel. One of the tourists said, don't buy from these kids. They're just supporting their parents' drug habits. Jerry had done a lot of relief work because he had been in third world countries a lot and had become pretty good at saying no to beggars. He just shook his head no after every child came up. Finally, a five-year-old girl came up. And she was as cute as can be, and she held three shells out, and she kept saying one word over and over again. He didn't know what the word was, so he just shook his head, no, no, no. Then she began to well up with tears. Jerry thought to himself, now she's pretty good. She's starting to get to me a little bit here. So he kept saying, no, go away. Then she went away and sat down on the beach, and she started to cry even more. At that point, his heart melted, and he took out two dollars, walked over, to hand it to the girl. And when he did, she got even, he got even a bigger surprise because she began to cry even harder. She started shaking her head. And by this time, he was totally confused. So he went to try and find a child of a missionary and asked him, what is this word that she keeps saying to me? The missionary's child listened and said, oh, she's saying free. Then he understood. He understood why he had broken this girl's heart. He went over to the little girl, held out his empty hand, and asked a question. Free? She beamed, and she gave him three shells in his hand. Now, there's two things that breaks God's heart. When we reject his free gift of salvation that he wants to give us in Jesus. When he's trying to give you something free, and you refuse to take it, that breaks his heart, just like this little girl. The second thing that breaks his heart is when you want to buy something that's free. In other words, you have to put forth the effort before you receive it. That's being legalistic. It almost broke this girl's heart just as much when he tried to pay for the shells when she just wanted to give it to him for free. This is what God is saying. I'm offering you free salvation. There's nothing you can do. You you can't do anything about it. Only I can do it and I want to give it to you. But you keep saying no. No, I don't have time to study the Bible. No, I don't have time to pray. No, I don't have time to read my Bible. No, I don't have time to have discipling time so you can help me stay faithful. No, I don't have time to spend with my kids to really teach them about God. No, I don't have time to sit down and just talk to my spouse for an hour to make sure we're on the same page. How many times do we say no to God's free gift of eternal life or better relationship with him? And there's times we try to buy it. There's times we think, oh, you know what? If I go do this, this, and this, everything will be okay. That's not what God is saying. See, we think, I can do whatever I want because of the grace of God. No, because of the grace of God, you have the freedom to do what you should do. And this is what's important for us, guys. Legalism says Jesus paid a lot. Grace says Jesus paid it all. You got to ask, is Jesus paying a lot for you 
Or is he paying it all for you? My second point is this. The gospel of grace emphasizes internal renewal, not external ritual. Internal renewal, not external ritual. Paul's opponents were caught up in the outward ceremony, the religious acts. But it was a cover up for their own corruption. Look at what he says in Galatians 6, 13. Galatians 6, 13. He says, not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. All those legalistic people don't even do what they're talking about. But they want you to do what they're talking about. Even though they won't do it. We say them old fools. But we got to be careful, guys. Because we can have a big old tree sticking out our eye as we try to get the little speck out of somebody else's. What do you mean, Pastor Mo? Well, let me tell you. Sometimes we say, we need to be sharing our faith more. We need more baptisms. We need more. What are you doing to make that happen? We know what everybody else should be doing. What are we doing to make it happen? Well, that, that's, well, well, what had happened was, whenever they say what had happened was, that means this is a lie coming your way next. Legalism is a great cover-up for an out-of-control life. But if you are compelled by the grace of God, you have control of your life. I'm winding down. I know the kids are already winding down. I'm winding down. A dose of religion can give you the impression that your life is right when it's actually filled with evil. There's a story of a mom who sent her boy off to college. She came to see him at Thanksgiving, and she knew his room would be a mess, but she wasn't prepared for what was about to see. She didn't say anything, but at Christmas... Uh, well, she, when she went to the room, she saw a lot of obscene posters all over the wall. She didn't say anything at that time, but at Christmas when he came home, she sent him a box of gifts, including a picture of Jesus. When she came back in the spring, the room was still a mess, but the walls was bare except the picture of Jesus Christ. She said, son, your room looks different. What is it? A new rug? Wallpaper? He said, no, mom. When Christ came into my room, all the other stuff had to go. That's what Paul has said. When Christ comes into your life, all the other stuff needs to go. If all the other stuff isn't leaving, the question is, is Christ really in your life? So let me close with this story here. It's about a tall, uh, mossy warrior named Joseph. Joseph had traveled to Amsterdam to try and meet Billy Graham at a conference. Joseph had the scars on his face that all massive warriors have when they kill their first lion with a spear. One day later, he's walking down a hot, dusty road, and he meets a man that tells him about Jesus. Joseph decides to believe in Jesus, and then he rushes back into his village, eager to tell everyone that Jesus had died for their sins. But not only did they not want to hear, they got hostile. The men grabbed Joseph and held him up on the ground, and the women grabbed barbed wire and began to flog Joseph. Then they drug him out into the bush, and there for two days he fell in and out of consciousness. When he finally came to, he drug himself 
to a water hole and thought to himself, what did I do wrong? What mistake did I make? So he rehearsed the story again and again, went back into the village to tell them how Jesus had died on the cross for them. The men again grabbed him, held him down, and the women grabbed barbed wire and reopened the wounds that had just begun to heal. Finally, they drug Joseph out into the bush, and for four days he laid there unconscious. By the grace of God, Joseph came to, and he got up and prepared himself to die. He limped back into the village. This time, before he even entered the gate, men came running to him and threw him to the ground. Women came out, and as they began to beat him, he kept saying, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. The last thing he remembered was seeing some of the women begin to cry. Several days later, Joseph woke up, not in a bush, but in a bed in the village. The women were taking care of him because, you see, the whole village decided to believe in Jesus that Joseph has spoke about. And when he finished his story in front of Dr. Graham, Joseph pulled up his beautiful, colorful African skirt and showed all across his chest and back the scars he wore for Jesus. And they say that Joseph walked out of that room and Dr. Graham said, I'm not worthy to untie the shoes and he wanted to meet me. Paul concludes by asking us this. If we are willing to receive blows for him who took the blows for us. Are we willing to receive some criticism for the fact that Jesus went through being flogged and crucified for us? Yes. Remember what Thomas said when Jesus appeared to him after he raised him the dead? He said, I will not believe unless I see the scars. What Thomas said about Jesus, this city is saying about our church. This city will not believe until we show them the scars. What scars are you talking about? The way we used to live and how we've been blessed to no longer have to live like that. How we've been blessed enough to have so many rich blessings in Christ. So many relationships, so many different kinds of support. We now can show the scars of Christ, but we can share the blessings of what God has done for us. Amen. The book of Galatians. I encourage you to go back, read through it again. We will talk about the fruits of the Spirit. We'll do a series on the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to do a series in the book of Mark. We're going to make sure this year we have a lot of in-depth, focused study on specific topics. Why? Because we need to grow in this. Nobody should be able to come in and deceive us with some shallow words, with some exciting news. That is not why Jesus died, so we can be bewitched by somebody. Let us look at the book of Galatians, go over it, focus on it. Thus, we can give God the glory and take none for ourselves. And to God be the glory. Amen.